the bottom of this hour, Ryan Burrow is going to join us from Parkland, Florida. And we're going to talk more about some of the victims from yesterday's shooting at that South Florida high school. And especially concentrate on uh, the heroes that we know have come out. Football coach, the athletic director, a geography teacher, janitor, all of them credited with saving the lives of some of those students by either getting them to safety or in some cases actually shielding the students with their own bodies. This city, Parkland, Florida, Florida, was named Florida's safest city last year. There was a report uh, that the FBI was tipped off to this kid after he posted on a YouTube video last year that he wanted to be or was going to be a professional school shooter. The guy who uh, was owning that YouTube page, however you say it, uh, called the FBI uh, called YouTube as well, and uh, the FBI responded to him immediately. Well, do you know who who wrote this? Do you know who posted this? Well, the kid, the, the kid at the time, his name was right next to the post. It, it says it right there. And the FBI today said, "Well, we had no way of of knowing who who wrote that post." Steve Gomez is a uh, security contributor to ABC and a former special agent with the FBI right here in LA. Steve, first of all, thanks for taking time for us today. Oh, thank you uh, for having me. Hey, um, what would the FBI do in the event that this guy writes, I'm going to be a professional school shooter? What kind of an investigation would that look like for the FBI? So if they were able to determine who that person truly was, then they would conduct the – the first step would be to conduct uh, basically a background investigation on them. They would look through as – the uh, agent in charge, uh, Lassie, said they would do a bunch of uh, database checks, try to figure out what is his, what is his criminal history, um, you know, his uh, addresses, you know, uh, where, where, you know, his employment, everything about the guy. Uh, they would try to develop to determine what kind of background this person has. Then they would run his name through a number of other systems to determine if he was already under investigation by somebody within the FBI or law enforcement, local, state. Uh, federal law enforcement. There are a number of systems that they can run that in to determine if there's an active investigation or a prior investigation involving this individual already. Would At they reach point, out and and try to make contact with this person? I'm just asking because there's so much evidence uh, that when you have massacre shooters like this, it is their first act of violence and man, many times their last. Right. Well, after you do all of that background work and you determine if they are already under investigation or not. Um, you also check to see if you have any informants, uh, um, intel that, uh, you know, people, people that can help you get into and conduct an investigation involving this individual. Once you've done all that, because that, that has a huge impact on how you are going to deal with this individual, if that is truly what they're thinking of doing. If there's already an investigation going on on that individual or there are informants, that are connected and telling the FBI about that individual. You don't want to go to their door and knock on their door and ruin an investigation or ruin the capability that an informant has. So you've got to figure out all that stuff in the beginning. Once you've determined that there are no other investigations, there are no informants, there is no information that is really going to be helpful for you, then you start to consider, okay, do we need to conduct surveillance on this individual or not? Do we go to his door and start knocking on his door and talking to him about this post and ask him straight up, you know, what did you mean by this? You know, and, and try to figure out if that person has the ability, capability to commit that kind of attack. 
you check to see if they own any guns. In this case, if they would have checked and found that he had this this AR-15, then right there, he had already expressed an intent, potentially, if that was truly the same guy that wrote the post, that he had the intent to commit that kind of school shooting, and they know that he has a gun. So you have the intent and the capability. And and the fact that he was in treatment for a mental health issue. You, and that's part of the background investigation. You're trying to figure out if, you know, if he has, you know, been um, admitted to any kind of a hospital or there have been reports, you know, with the police of like what we call in L.A. 5150s. You know, they, you know it, has he been reported as, you know, as a 5150 or something like that? Those are the kinds of things that you start checking into. You know, in this case, you might have gone down to the local police department and asked them, hey, you know, have you had any problems with, uh, with this individual that lives at this location and so on? There were reports that supposedly his mother prior to her dying um, had had called 911 on him once or twice and uh, asked for him to you know, ask for the local uh, police to come down and talk to her son. What you're describing sounds so logical. And yes, that's the way things should work. But it doesn't seem like that happened in this case. Uh, local law enforcement, certainly, according to CNN, was not contacted by the FBI when they got a tip off that this guy was bragging about being a professional school shooter. Right, right. And that's bad. I can just say that that is bad. If there isn't that kind of connecting of the dots from the school and all the information, all those red flags that the school um, had about this about this suspect prior to him and and maybe even after him being expelled, and uh, and if the FBI had this YouTube um, you know blog and uh, information about that, and if all of that wasn't being connected to local law enforcement and local law enforcement was having contact with the suspect through the mother's calls, that's a huge problem. I mean, somebody has to basically take ownership of the threat, and it doesn't matter who it is. Somebody has to drive that, whether it's the school that has to say, hey, we're concerned about this kid who got expelled and had all these problems. You know, is anybody doing anything about it? they got to ask local law enforcement about that. they got to ask maybe the FBI. And then at some point, somebody's got to be able to say, well, we did get calls from the mob, or we did have this YouTube thing. Now we got a problem, and they got to conduct an investigation. And, and, and I don't want to hear from anybody in law enforcement that, well, we can only do so much, because if that's the case, then you know what? The school needs to contact a private investigator, a security consultant who used to work for the FBI or used to work for local law enforcement and get them on board to take care of it. When because I, th- yeah, cause that's what you have to do. Somebody has to do something. Yeah. When I first saw the story about this post that I'm going to be a professional school shooter, having been posted somewhere on the internet, turns out to be YouTube, I am automatically assumed it was an, under some bizarre screen name that no one would be able to decipher without going through a search warrant and asking Google or YouTube for their user database. It turns out that that was the guy's name. Do, the FBI when, when didn't have to that, dig. Yeah, when I saw <laughs> that, it was almost as if it was hiding in, in plain sight. What, it, it, it did... I don't know what this means, but is it as simple as hiding in plain sight? Or I, I think no. You 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 raised a great point. I thought the same thing, and once I learned that it was actually Nicholas Cruz, then you start to ask, okay, what happened? What broke down? So what may have happened, as the SAC described in the presser, they took that name and they ran that name through a number of databases, and it's very possible that he had no criminal history. That he had no, uh, you know, his name didn't hit on any other investigations that are being conducted in the area. No informants knew about him. They weren't receiving any information from anybody on that. So then the question is, did they, were they able to at least determine that 
that name came from the Florida area, the South Florida area, or was it one of these YouTubes where, you know, it's just, it, it, you know, it could have been anywhere, could have been anywhere in the country. Uh, those are some of the difficulties that you that, run into when you have that. But still, that's still the same name. You could have ran all. Yeah, if you're, if you're just running out. the names through a database, though, it really doesn't help with mass killers like this because this is their last, their only huge grand finale of murder, and you're not going to get any hits, which is why I think it's so important for the FBI or some agency like you're, like you're talking about to make contact, make face-to-face contact, have a conversation. Because serial murderers uh, don't just, uh, they don't stack up a bunch of, of rap sheet problems. They usually just go out in a blaze of glory. At the end of the day, if this individual, Nicholas Cruz, never had the police or the FBI knocking on, the, knocking on his door to, to say, you know, hey, we want to talk to you about the red flags at the school, stuff about his mother reporting, or this YouTube thing. That, that, that might be a problem. I mean, we got to see what the investigation uh, uh, bears out, and and uh, what all these uh, you know all these situations, all these contacts and uh, concerns, you know, what was done. But uh, you know, because that's a simple thing. You don't right. you don't need very much just to go knock on somebody's door, talk to them, and, and ask them. You could you could ask them, hey, do you have a gun? And he'll probably say yes. And, and you should know that already because you have access to that database. And then you could say, well, can you know, can I see the gun? You know, and and can I search your house? I mean, these are all things that as a trained law enforcement officer, you have the ability to do that. And they should have been done in this case. Steve, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Very good. Thank you. When we come back, Monica Ricks is in Florida. We're going to talk with her about uh, some of the things that she's been seeing and hearing already this morning. Gary and Shannon. We'll talk more about that article. We were talking about what mass killers want and how to stop them. The suggestions from Ari Shulman a little bit later in the hour. Yeah, uh, because that's where I learned about uh, the majority of mass killers. They just... They don't have a criminal record. They're in it for that one final act. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I want to get into that. That's a, that's a really good article. Very insightful. Monica Ricks is joining us now from Florida. There. Are you in Parkland? I am in Parkland. I'm about a mile from the school just because I was at this huge vigil that was going on uh, a little earlier, and there were hundreds of people here, and a lot of them were very emotional. A lot of them broke down during this prayer vigil. Um, There were about a dozen ministers that were overseeing the whole thing. They released 17 silver balloons in memory of the 17 people that were killed in this massacre yesterday. Uh, It was just a very emotional, very touching ceremony. Um, And there were a lot of people here just to remember all those people that were gunned down in that school. What were some of the, uh, uh, I don't, did anybody speak? I mean, Or was it just a matter of everybody kind of joining up to be in the same place at the same time? It was mostly being in the same place at the same time. There weren't loved ones or anything that that got up to speak individually. It was the ministers, um, you know, just basically comforting people. There was a lot of hugging going on. Um, You know, I couldn't point out which ones were family members, but there were a lot of students in the crowd, a lot of young people, a lot of people just breaking down and, you know, comforting one another because I feel like this community is so quiet and it's so 
I mean, you can tell that a lot of people know each other. This is very suburban Miami. This is not the downtown Miami. This is not the South Beach Miami that everybody knows and sees. This is suburbia. This is not a, a very crowded neighborhood. And so there were probably a couple hundred people here. But you got to remember, this is a very big school. 3,200 students go to this school. So this wasn't even half of the population. Even more shocking, and I know that this... Uh maybe not statistically true, but it's even more shocking in a community like this just voted mm-hmm. uh, Florida's safest city last year. Yep. I read a quote today. People don't move to Parkland to, for business. They move to Parkland to start a family. No. And these were these are people um, I heard the mayor talking about it earlier as well. These are people that come together in times of crisis, too. And, and, you know, this is the biggest thing that has happened in this area besides maybe a hurricane that's blown through here. Uh, Last year, when they had the big hurricane here in South Florida, um, you know, they lost power here for quite some time. And you had all kinds of people volunteering. You had all kinds of people helping each other. And I think this is what's going to happen now. I think it's still too soon to really see the big impact that the community will play. I think a lot of people are still in shock, but these people are really coming together. I mean, you saw it at the vigil. It wasn't it wasn't too large of a scale, but there were hundreds of people that were here just for each other. The uh, sheriff of Broward County this morning made mention of copycat threats that had come in. Do you know anything about those? Yeah, they're coming into several schools, including some of the middle schools nearby. And it's people just, you know, saying that they're going to do the same, that they're hearing the same. Um, So they've got extra security at these schools. They've got extra law enforcement uh, patrols at every single school. And as you know, that there's grief counselors in uh, several facilities as well, making sure that, you know, anybody who's afraid or anybody who needs extra comfort or needs to get through what just happened, you know, 24 hours ago, 26 hours ago, that there's somebody there for them just to listen to them or to hug them. There's There was comfort dogs in, in the crowd today that were that people were just giving hugs to. So um, these copycat threats are coming in. The sheriff has said that they're going to investigate every single one of them as if it's a legit call. But if anything is fake, if there's any cases of swatting where they're redirecting resources into areas where they're not supposed to be, they will press charges they will go after them to the full extent of the law and make sure that these people pay for for these cruel jokes monica thank you so much for your time appreciate it thanks guys monica ricks there live from parkland florida coming up next we're going to hook up with ryan burrow he is also there talking a little bit about heroes the stories of people who were throwing themselves in between the shooter and students uh, to save those kids' lives. Gary and Shannon will continue. Got a little soul, the world is cold, cold place to be. Gary and Shannon. Uh, once again, we are uh, covering the story out of Florida from yesterday. The uh, shooting at that high school in South Florida. 17 people were killed. And we are learning the identities of some of the people. Um, not officially the the uh, official death toll or the official death list, I guess you could say, hasn't been issued yet from the Broward County Sheriff. But there have been several different media outlets that have confirmed with the families, uh, the names of some of the students who were killed, some of the people who are in the school, staff members, teachers, etc. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we did was uh, make sure that we uh, tip our caps, give a nod to the people. It seems very 
cliche to say that, and it's definitely not enough to honor the people who gave their lives, it appears, to protect some of the people who were in that high school at the time. Ryan Burrow joins us now from Parkland, Florida, with these stories. Ryan, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Yeah, how about uh, the assistant football coach, Aaron Fites, who, according to one student, uh, she was walking down the hallway at the time of the shooting with earbuds in her ear. She looked up, saw Mr. Fites. He was waving to her to go away. She didn't quite understand what was going on. Then she saw the gunman. She says the gunman opened fire, shot Mr. Fites. He was going down to the ground and still telling students to get in the room, to get in the classroom. So that's uh, one incredible story. Uh, there's another student uh, who said that her social studies teacher, Mr. Beagley, uh, or Mr. Beagle, I'm sorry, uh, during the, the melee of gunfire down the hallway, the students ran into a classroom and they all ducked under tables. Uh, but this particular group forgot to shut the door. And she said that her favorite teacher realized that, went to the door and locked it, and at some point after locking the door, uh, was fatally shot. In fact, when they left, when they were finally escorted out by a SWAT team, they essentially had to step over his body uh, to to get out of the out of the school, as well as two other students. So um, these, these are some incredible tales that we're now hearing. And think about it. We're, we're only about 24 hours after the fact. And, you know, they're, they're still trying to absorb what it was that they saw and what happened. This was... Um... From what I understand from other students who were there and saw and heard all of this, that it was in a freshman building, although it's not necessarily all freshmen at the time. Um, these were There were different kids from different grade levels who were killed, right? Yeah, and we're getting some of those numbers now. We're hoping to get the full list here pretty soon in the affidavit in which uh, the, the gunman uh, that was submitted it went for the court procedure. They only listed about 13 of the names. We know that there were 17 uh, in the uh, uh, 17 who were killed. Um, but with ranging, it sounds like anywhere between the ages of 14 and obviously adults. What do, um, are there, the gruesome as this is, are their bodies still in the school or have they been able to move them? Do you know? As, as of the press conference that happened a few hours ago, the bodies are still there. Um, well, some of them are still there. They need to complete this process. And as gruesome as it sounds, um, they need to use that as evidence. They need to get all the pictures because once they clean everything up and move everything out, you know, there's no going back. We saw this actually in Marshall County, Kentucky as well. Uh, the bodies remained inside while they, uh, they completed the processing. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, to think about that as we stare at this, what is essentially an empty building, that there are bodies, potentially children's bodies, laying inside of it. Gosh, just that picture that, that you painted there, Ryan, of, um, of Aaron Fies trying to direct traffic away fr- from the shooter. After uh, having been shot. Yeah. It's just so yeah. powerful. The, the sheriff uh, knew him well. Uh, apparently, they both coached football together. He said that uh, Aaron actually coached his team. He said uh, his funeral will probably have about 2,000 kids. He says they absolutely loved him, and he said he was a wonderful guy. So, um, but, you know, you feel bad when you hear stories like this that you never got a chance to meet him. <laughs> um, but uh, a great story. All right. Ryan, thank you so much. Take care. Ryan Burrow there with uh, some of the – hero stories that we saw come out of this high school there was another one uh the daily mail out of uh out of london described a uh, a senior david hogg at the school told how a janitor saved his life and many others 
by telling them to run in the opposite direction of the guy with the gun. That that you can imagine that if you have heard any of the gunshots from that room or from the building, there was there are a few videos that are going around that actually capture the sound of the the gunfire. You can tell it's not firecrackers. This is a loud, booming, deep uh, rifle that's making these noises, not the sharp, uh, you know, the sharp blast of a firecracker. And it's disconcerting. You can't tell where it's coming from a lot of times, especially if there's rooms, open doors, hallways, staircases, and things like that. And that the janitor was able to uh, tell the kids to go the other way, basically, and to avoid the fire. Uh, They haven't yet put a name to whoever that female janitor was that was doing that. But David Hogg said uh, that basically that janitor saved the lives of all the kids that she was able to redirect, go the other way out towards the uh, to the exits. And then Scott Bagel, the ge- um, geography teacher who was shot as he tried to lock the, the classroom after getting a bunch of kids who were running down the hall in the classroom and away from the shooter. Uh, Kelsey Friend was one of the students that did an interview with some of the cable news outlets and talked about how she's alive because of him. Mr. Beagle was my hero and he still will forever be my hero i will never forget the actions that he took for me and for fellow students in the classroom and if his family is watching this please know that your son or your brother was an amazing person and i am alive today because of him thank you for bringing and having this amazing person in life and giving him the power to be stronger than I could have ever been. He will be missed by me and multiple friends. His name for with me will live on, and I'll make sure of it. The unfortunate thing is that that, I mean, that girl has retold that story easily a half a dozen times on different networks, uh, different interviews throughout the course of the day. And uh, and like she said, I mean, it's clear that she's never going to forget. You cannot ever forget uh, if someone laid down their life for you like that. She said, I thought it was a drill until I saw my teacher dead on the floor. She said the scene around campus was like a movie. I saw blood. I saw two students curled up in balls, more blood, backpacks thrown everywhere. It was like a movie scene. There was gunpowder all over the floor. Just started screaming. I want to say something about it. when we come back. I want to. Um, we got an email yesterday that was a complaint about something that we were playing in, in the immediate aftermath of what had happened yesterday, and you didn't get to hear it. But I want to explain it. I, we're not going to play it again, but I want to explain why we did play it in the first place. Well, anyway, it, it's a. We can't ignore the gruesome nature of what it is that happened, and. Um, There are kids now who will suffer. I mean, not the physical wounds of having been shot, but the mental wounds of having seen people get shot. And like Ryan said, they're literally stepping over the bodies of their teachers in order to get out of this hellhole that they were captured in. So I wanted wanted to mention that just because I think uh, I thought a lot about it yesterday afternoon after we were criticized for playing something. So Also, um, and, and Susan was one of the people who wrote in to us today on Facebook about this, and I had the same thought and never got to it, but what's with the school expelling this kid and then kind of like, done here? 
seems like there was not a lot of follow-up when people found out that this kid was uh, up to no good. We'll talk about it next. Gary and Shannon will continue. Yesterday, we obviously spent a lot of time talking about the uh, the shooting at the high school because it was unfolding during the show. And one of the things that we played, uh, I want to say it about about this time, maybe a little bit earlier in the one o'clock hour yesterday, was an eyewitness account, and it was an interview that a, a school kid had done. One of the girls had done uh, whatever network or TV station, whatever it was, and it was about uh, ninety seconds, two minutes long, and it was hard to listen to. It was, it was difficult for two reasons. Number one, she was describing what she saw, and she referred to seeing bodies in the hallway of what she thought were a couple of teachers and other students, and she said maybe five or six, and um, included a description of, of a kid lying face down with his eyes open, obviously dead at that point. And she's, she's telling the story, and she's re- recounting her experience through tears. And... We only played it once, and we didn't revisit it. We didn't play it today, obviously, because it was ridiculously hard to listen to. And I got an email that said, you need to get that off the air now. You know, are you guys, have you no shame? And my, I thought about this all afternoon. I don't, people should not be shielded from the horror that happened in that school. You don't have to relive it. You can make your choice eventually if you ever want to find out, read more information about it. You can tune it out. However you want to do it, how you deal with it is fine. But I feel like there's got to be an acknowledgement that not only the 17 lives that were, whatever that was, whatever the 17 lives that were taken, the 14 families who have people who are still in the hospital, the dozens of students who were directly in the line of fire, the hundreds of students who were there, the thousands of people who have connections to those people. Every one of those lives has been impacted. You can sit through two minutes of hearing somebody describe that. You All you do is sit through listening to it's it. It's like when people talk about too much war coverage. Exactly. That's that's exactly the, the – that's a great analogy. You can't sanitize – what happens? I, I mean, I want to say it was you a shouldn't. Vietnam War when, yeah. when when Walter Cronkite was criticized for, for putting a number on the air every night of Americans who were killed in the war. we got to stop sanitizing this stuff. I right. think part of the reason that it's too easy two weeks down the road to forget the fact that this happened is because it's a sanitized version of it. For a lot of people, all they saw, the, mo- the, the most... Um, moving image they're going to see is kids running away from school. Well, you see that every day. We're thankfully never going to see, hopefully, what happened inside the school. We're not going to see crime scene photos, but you know they exist. Why people would want to put their heads in the sand and pretend that that stuff because didn't happen. Because it's easier. I know, but... People don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't want to know that something that they love, like... Uh, this country and and the Constitution and what it was founded on could also facilitate horror. And unfortunately, at where we are in 2018, 
in some cases you can't have one without the other. Well, it's it's one of those things. I mean, we have a we have a duty, I think, here to try to figure out what is what is enough, what is too much. You know, what we do post, what we do say, uh, but there's also an acknowledgement that you can, we cannot ignore the reality of what happened in that school yesterday. Because I've talked to too many kids who have seen this thing firsthand. We've covered the story way too many times. You said something earlier this hour that was a little jarring to hear, but how many times have you and I, in the short history of this show, how many times have you and I had to sit here and talk about the shooting in San Bernardino, the the shooting in Kentucky, a shooting in Oregon, a shooting at uh, a school at El Centro, just down, or the Castro Middle School, sorry, right near downtown. I mean, all... How many times have we had to do that? Yeah. But people are upset because they had to hear something. So anyway, tomorrow we're going to get back into that story. We started to, to touch on it, but we're going to take a little bit more time and talk about what it is that mass killers want, how we can stop them, and, and what it is that drives these guys. It's not, it's not crazy. I mean, there is a certain amount of, of mental illness here, but it's not the... It's not a paranoid schizophrenia that you think of. And there's unfortunate, uh, what's the word? There's unfortunate similarities, perhaps, between each one of the people that perpetrates a mass shooting like this that we cannot ignore. I hate paying attention to the perpetrators of this stuff, but I am fascinated about what gets them there. All right. We'll do that tomorrow. Uh, John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody.